We are in a series titled The Nine-Flavored Life. And this series comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, in which he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, there's only one fruit, it, but there are nine flavors. And this is the quality of life or the character that God works in us. As uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, His Spirit indwells you. And His Spirit is not dormant. His Spirit is active. And God uh, is reproducing Himself in you. And over time, as, as we surrender our lives more and more to the control of the Holy Spirit, more and more as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, uh, we will begin to reflect the character of God Himself. The fruit of the Spirit, these are ultimately characteristics of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is God, and this is the way God relates to us. And so when God's Spirit indwells us, uh, He begins to uh, create Himself in us and transform us into His image. And of course, that's what we were designed to be, image bearers of God. But because of sin, we have gone so far. The other way, we've lost it. And the Spirit of God seeks to restore that. If you, so each week, we are looking at one of the flavors of the fruit. If you've missed any of the earlier sermons, you can catch up online at clearwater.church. You can download the Clearwater Church app, take us with you on the go. And today we're looking at goodness, the flavor of goodness. By the way, a number of our journey groups are um, kind of going deeper with the sermon topic for the week. If you're not in a journey group, I really encourage you to pick up a journey group directory back at the Get Info table. We have lots of groups meeting at lots of different times in lots of different places. Find one that matches your interests and your schedule, and then be bold and courageous and, and just show up uh, or call in advance and, and uh, talk to somebody. But get involved. So what is goodness? What is goodness? Goodness is wanting God's glory and all people to flourish. It's knowing how to bring that about and it's doing it. It's wanting, knowing, and doing that which brings God glory and human flourishing. Now Jesus tells us that there is only one good God himself. In other words, there's only one person in the universe who perfectly wants, knows, and does what is good. But God's Spirit does produce goodness in His people, and we begin to take on that flavor, take on that uh, characteristic, and so it can be said of us with increasing uh, truth and regularity that we also are good that we begin to um, share in God's goodness. I find it very interesting that the word Paul uses here uh, seems to be made up by Paul. This word goodness is not found in any of the uh, Greek secular writings of the day. Uh, Paul seems to have coined this phrase. 
and it became uh, part of Christian uh, writing from, from that point on. Isn't that interesting? Uh, this idea of goodness, of reflecting the goodness of God. And you and I are called to be that way. But we have to always start with who is God, uh, because he is the definition of goodness, and he is the example of goodness. So let's take a moment uh, and think about God's goodness. First off, God wants his own glory, and he wants people to flourish. He wants us to have life to the full. And praise God, those two things are not in competition. God designed the universe uh, in such a way that his glory brings about human flourishing. As John Piper famously put it, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Uh, God created the laws of physics, and he also created the laws of flourishing. And he designed the universe so that as he is glorified, we are best off. And so uh, God wants only what is good. In James chapter 1, verse 13, we're told this, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Why can't God be tempted with evil? Because he has no appetite for it. it evil has no attraction to God at all. He has zero interest in it, therefore there is no temptation. Evil has no temptation, and he's certainly not going to tempt us because he doesn't want evil to flourish in the world. He wants good to flourish in the world. God only wants what is good. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This was a statement God made to Israel, but God's people throughout the centuries have uh, heard in it the heart, the good heart of God for all people, uh, for certainly his people. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's plans for you, his want for you, his desire for you, his intent for you, it's good. It's for your best. It's never for evil. Do we believe that? Do we believe that when God thinks about me, he wants me to flourish, he wants me to be healthy, he wants my best? Do we really believe that? Uh, this past week, I was uh, listening to a friend talk about a great tragedy that had befell her life about five years earlier, a terrible tragedy. And she said, in the aftermath of the tragedy, I concluded, I can't trust God anymore. If God is good to me, why did he let this happen? He's all-powerful. He could have stopped it, but he chose not to. So how can I trust him? anymore. He didn't protect me from that. How can I trust that he is good and that his intentions towards me are good? When we begin to doubt the goodness of God toward us, our spiritual lives go absolutely off the rails. And she said, once I decided I can't trust God, I then decided, well, then I don't need to obey him either. I can just do whatever I want to do because frankly, I'm not convinced 
that he is telling me how to live the best possible life. But the Bible says it is a fundamental principle of the Bible. It is a presupposition of the, of the biblical worldview. God is good and only good, period. God's desires for you are only good. That's what he wants for you. Never wants evil. So God wants good. And God also knows where his glory can be found and how we can flourish. God is the only one who knows in every situation what is good. Which is why in Psalm 32, 8, God can say, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. I love that. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. My counsel is not just applicable to the generic world. It's, it's specific to you. I'm going to tell you how to live a good life, how to uh, live life to the full. And the reason God can instruct us and teach us in the way that we can go is because he knows what's best for us. He who created us created the laws of flourishing. He knows what will bring us happiness. He knows what will bring us health. He knows what will bring us life to the full. So he wants what's best for us. He knows exactly how we can get it. So will we listen to him? First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Will we have an appropriate humility that says, God knows better than I do what's good for me? Even his weakness is stronger than our strength. Even his foolishness, of course this is hyperbolic, right? Is wiser than our greatest wisdom. So God wants what's best. He knows what's best. And he only does what is best. Psalm 119, 68. God, you are good, and you do good. Teach me your statutes. God does good and only good. Do we believe that? Even what he allows to happen to us is good. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God only does what is good and only allows what somehow he's going to work together for good. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all. And that's you, and that's me, and he's only good to us. He's not yin and yang. We do not believe in a yin and yang God where, boy, sometimes he's good, sometimes he's bad, Nope, it's 100% good. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. That's not yin and yang, is it? So we're called to be good like God. And yet, so many aren't. And none of us are perfectly, right? So what are the obstacles to human goodness? We've got to know the obstacles so that we can uh, seek to overcome them. Well, the first obstacle to human goodness is our, our tendency to be selfish, our self-first uh, instinct that is in us because of 
the sin nature. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, God said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. And so this was before uh, the flood. God decided he regretted having made humans, and so he wiped them out in the flood, except Noah and Noah's uh, family, because Noah was a righteous man and found favor in God's eyes. And yet, um, even after the flood... God still acknowledges the sin principle within us. And uh, then, so Noah now has built his ark and he's back on dry land and, and God smells this uh, sacrifice that Noah has made. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I'll never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. The fact is, uh, we have a sin nature that gives us a bent toward evil. And our self-first sin nature doesn't want God to be glorified, doesn't want God to sit on the throne of our lives. It wants my own glory, and, and I want to be in charge. And human flourishing happens when we say, I'm going to care about my brother and my sister as much as I care about myself. I'm going to I'm going to look not only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others. And the self-first attitude fights against that. So I don't think I need to go too far uh, into proving that. We, we all know that to be true. And of course, what's the solution? The solution to that obstacle is get a new heart. We need a new heart. And God promised a new heart that comes about through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through the Christian regeneration, all the way hundreds of years before Jesus, uh, in the, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 25, we read this. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my laws. That's... That is the foretelling of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is telling us the fruit of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, look what he produces in the Christian. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, we read, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's the Spirit of God within us that makes us want God to be glorified, makes us want other people to be blessed in addition to ourselves. God's Spirit begins to transform our desires. And we actually, uh, as we surrender and over time, we re that really becomes our heartbeat. I want God's glory. I'm willing myself uh, to, to, to become less so that He may become greater still. And uh, God also works within us. Um, the Holy Spirit shows us where that can, where good, what is good. He teaches us and counsels us and then ultimately helps us as we, uh, helps us do what is good. Now the second obstacle to human goodness. So we need a new heart. That's the, uh, that's the solution to the first obstacle. We need a new heart. Now the second obstacle to human goodness is the fact that we are easily deceived by Satan. And I want to sit on this for a while. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. 
And uh, here we're reading about uh, Eve being tempted. She's deceived into eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Satan knew full well that God had said you may eat of all the trees, just not this one tree. So he's already twisting things. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now God never said you shall not touch it. He only said, don't eat it. So Adam and Eve have kind of put their own additional uh, restrictions. They're creating a boundary around the boundary. And boy, we so often do that. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So here's the deceiver. What does Satan do? He lies. He's the father of lies. And so now Satan is, is sowing this lie this idea in Eve's head. No, it's not actually. What God says is bad for you, actually it's not bad for you. It's not going to hurt you. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What's Satan saying? Actually, God is lying to you because he, he wants to reserve this good thing for himself. He's, he's trying to hold back from you the knowledge of good and evil. Do you hear that? God has labeled the fruit bad, but guess what, Eve? It's not bad. It's good. And God is holding out on you. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. I want you to notice that Eve has begun to add her own uh, reasoning to Satan's lie. Satan didn't say, ooh, by the way, it tastes really good and it, it's really pretty. She goes there. He, he sows the fundamental lie that, you know what? God might not be telling you the truth. God might be holding out on you. And then she begins to introduce her own reasoning and say, you know what? That, actually, that's a pretty fruit. I bet that would taste great. And you know what? You know, she buys the lie. Satan, maybe it would make me wise. Hmm. By the way, this fruit didn't have a worm in it and it wasn't shriveled up, Right? It wasn't a rotting piece of fruit. It was a pretty piece of fruit. And so often the temptations uh, to sin look great. And when we reason on our own, we can get ourselves to a place where like, you know what? Living with my boyfriend or girlfriend, trying him out, trying her out, that makes a lot of sense. That ought to help me decide whether we should really get married. And our, our, our human reasoning, we get ourselves to a place of sin quite easily. So what did she do? She then takes of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Now, this has been replayed throughout human history ad nauseum, and it has been played out in your life and my life many, many 
times. God labels something evil, and Satan deceives us and says, that's not bad for you. Come on, Mike, that's not bad for you. Actually, that's good for you. And then we relabel, because we've been deceived, we relabel something God has labeled bad, we relabel it good, and we begin to partake of it. And where does it take us? Bad places. God had told them, on the day that you eat the fruit, you shall surely die. And what happened? They died. From that day forward, they began to die, and they no longer had life everlasting. And they died spiritually. God wasn't lying to them. He was not holding out on them. And so how many times have you relabeled what God has said to be bad and you've called it good for you in your unique situation? It does not lead us to good places. So let me illustrate this. When I was a kid, how many know what this sticker is? Yell out if you know it. Out loud, come on. Mr. Yuck. Yuck. When I was a kid, my mom put the Mr. Yuck sticker on the poisons in the house. I appreciated that as a little kid. Don't drink this. Don't eat this. Very easy for me to understand. Now, did I understand why uh, Clorox bleach would hurt me? No, but I could understand the Mr. Yuck sticker, right? Mr. Yuck, don't do it. Okay. So that's, that is what God has done for us all throughout Scripture. He labels, puts a bunch of Mr. Yuck stickers on sin, things that are bad for us, right? And so it's not good to drink, drink Clorox. And there are, there are a whole lot of things that our Creator knows are going to harm us. But what does the evil one do? The evil one tries to relabel, and so there's this mystery yum sticker. And so, you know, he's, he comes along and he's like, oh, actually, let's just put a mystery yum sticker on that. Now, imagine if you live in a house in which the poisons have got a mystery yum sticker on them. Is that a healthy place to be living? That's a dangerous place to be living. And may I suggest that increasingly in our society, there's a whole lot of unhealthy behaviors that our society has stuck a big Mr. Yum sticker on. And if we're not going to the Word of God and and, and letting God label for us uh, behaviors, we're going to just think, oh, society says that's got a Mr. Yum sticker on it. Oh, I'm going to just take it. Actually, it's real bleach. I'm not doing that. And and people are swallowing it. And it's hurting them. Right? As soon, I tell you, as soon as you open uh, the door to the idea that God might in fact be lying to me, God might in fact be holding out on me, If you entertain that idea, if you go there, where does it end? The only thing you've got from that point on is trial and error. And people do the trial and error right on down to death, don't they? When I was younger, I thought that that was metaphorical, Proverbs. It's not metaphorical. Now that I've lived long enough, people truly die. And they get sick. 
and they have you know, all kinds of damage that enters their lives relationally and economically and physically that's a, that comes about because they're, they're not letting God label for them. They're saying, nope, I'm going to label for myself. I will decide for myself what is good for me and bad for me. I'm not going to let the Word of God do that. Nah, I don't trust the Bible. I don't trust the heart of God. That's what it comes down to. Are you wiser than God? Have some humility, right? And I'm talking to myself too. Who am I? Do I know what's best for me? I don't know what's best for me. My Creator knows what's best for me, and He's good and so he says, here, let me help you live the best possible life. I've labeled for you <laughs> some Mr. Yuck stickers, some Mr. Yum stickers, and uh, I'll make it easy. Now listen, I, I pretty much lived this way from the time I was young, because I came to Christ at a young age, and I made a decision as, as a young man, I don't have to understand why what God, God tells me what to do is good for me. I don't have to understand. I can still obey. And I'm going to obey first, and then over time, may God show me why that's good for me. And that's largely the way I have lived, and I have not regretted it in the slightest. But I'll tell you, often it was many, many years later that I came to understand, oh, that's why that's bad for me. Oh, that's why that's good for me. I didn't know that when I was young, but I could obey, right? Just like I didn't understand why, as a young kid, what, why these ingredients would harm me, but hey, I could, well, now it's got a Mr. Yum, sorry. But uh, I, could, I could certainly understand Mr. Yuck sticker means stay away from it. You want goodness in your life. You want to flourish you want to have light, uh, the abundant life? Let me tell you, a lot of it comes down to just obeying God, letting Him label for you what is good and bad, and obeying. And what you'll find is that you'll avoid a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of heartache, when you just trust His good commands to you and do them. So, we are easily deceived, and the solution is take God's advice. Final obstacle to human goodness is simply we doubt God's goodness. Is we, we start to, we're unsure that God really is good to us. And as soon as we doubt God's goodness, of course, uh, we'll doubt his, uh, the wisdom of his word. And then we're just on our own trying to decide for ourselves what's good for us. Now, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We live in a, in, apart from the word of God and the revelation of God, we live in a dark, a morally dark world. And we don't know which, where to go. We don't know. We're just living in the dark. We don't know if we're going to fall off a cliff or we're on a steady path. And the word of God gives us that clarity. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, uh, we read this. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't just let the thinking of this world 
uh, form your thinking. And it will. Unless you are actively resisting it, you're going to think morally the same way your society thinks. You will take on the values of your society. You, we will. We all do. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And how do we renew our mind? Be, by bathing our minds in the Word of God. We let the Word of God renew our mind and, and, and kick out the, the bad thinking that we've that seeped in because of the world in which we live. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The more that we know the word of God, the more we know the will of God, we know, the more we know what is good, what brings God glory, and what brings human flourishing. Listen, I don't know why God does what he does. I don't know why he allows what he allows into our lives. And so I have a, you know, as a pastor, many people come to me and, and, and the tragedy in their life has been significant. And I can't say, oh, well, let me tell you, I can, I can see the good that's going to come out of that. I can't most of the time. But when we doubt the goodness of God to us, we look to the cross that is the solution. When you doubt that God is good to you, look to the cross. God himself hanging on the cross willingly because he loves us. It is the, it is the symbol of God's goodness to us. It is the, the, the great act of goodness. God loved us enough to not leave us in our sin, but he came down and he took the penalty for our sin upon himself. By his stripes, we're healed. If you doubt God's goodness to you, look to the cross. It says, I love you, I am good, good to you, and I want good things for you. And why he's allowed what the tragedy he's allowed to befall you, he'll explain that when you get to heaven, and you will then understand how he's worked it out for good, and you will praise him for it. That's just the promise of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We want the Spirit of God to uh, produce His goodness in us so that we want what's good, we know how to get it, and we do it. Let's pray. Lord, I see in Your rules, in Your commands your goodness. You haven't left us to ourselves to discover through trial and error where abundant life can be found because we could completely waste our lives doing that. Instead, you've said, listen, let me make it easy for you. And, and, and how blessed we are if as young people, as young people, we uh, apply our hearts to your word. We learn from you. From a young age, we just we go about life the way you've instructed us. We will avoid so much pain and heartache, Lord. But it's never too late to humble ourselves. It's never too late to uh, be filled with your spirit. It's never too late to learn and change. And so right now, uh, we recommit ourselves to 
surrendering to your spirit and, and letting you uh, make us good as you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.